Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever it is. It's uh, 524-2023. This is different than the normal uh, weekly stuff. I'm doing that on YouTube now because I got sick and tired of all Lincoln's glitchy shit um, and the chat sucked. So moving that over to that, uh, the Patreon stuff is up and the Patreon stuff is up so that I can donate that money to veterans organizations, charity things, not for me to whatever buy the you know next bullshit somebody doesn't need. So if you're there and you think it's interesting or whatever, great, cool. If you don't, then it's a big internet. Feel free to go somewhere else. Let's get into some of the things that are sticking out today that are uh, interesting and concerning. And they all kind of fit into that same wicket. Um, number one, I don't know if anybody else, but like if you're sick and tired, I'm, I'm tired of every fucking website asking me, can we you know track your cookies or whatever else? Just do it. Like this is ridiculous. I'm sick of clicking that fucking link. Yeah, you can have my my cookies. I don't really care. Like all of our data is already stolen six times over anyway. You think I'm worried about you clicking my cookies um, or clicking my cookies? That sounds like something. I don't know. That that doesn't sound right, Chase. Don't say that again. Uh, there's an article on thehill.com by Xavier Walton. A new iPhone feature can replicate user's voice in 15 minutes. Uh, amid a new wave of artificial intelligence, which again, it's not AI, but whatever, Apple iPhones will soon be able to speak in their users' voices. Hmm seriously concerning the new iphone feature personal voice will give users randomized text prompts to generate 15 minutes of audio another feature live speech will allow users to save commonly used phrases for the device to speak during phone calls and in-person conversations concerning apple said it will use ml a type of ai which okay to create the voice on the device itself rather than externally so the data can be more secure and private so they're doing it on your device the tech giant knows that these tools will help users who are speech impaired. Sure. For example, a man who was diagnosed with ALS is losing his ability to speak. If you can tell them you love them in a voice sound like you, it makes all the difference in the world. Okay, cool. I get that. But critics say this could pose security and privacy threats in the future. Yes. There are a number of privacy concerns, said Vahid Bazdadan. Bazdadan. Sorry, I fucked that up. Uh, what if the voice model is not fully stored on your phone? Because everything backs up to iCloud somewhere. Um, what if your voice can be stolen? Which, yeah, my voice is out here right now on the internet. So um, I guess I'm already fucked. Nevertheless, the company is joining on the AI bandwagon. Apple, they've always believed the best technology is technology built for everyone, said CEO Tim Cook. Uh, there are 2.5 billion people right now in the world that will need this type of technology, said Marva Baylor, a tech executive. I don't, that number seems pretty large. I, I mean, there's, roughly 8 billion people on the planet. So a third of them need this because of some disability. Um, I don't know. I don't, uh, this to me has got issues as far as privacy, there's storage issues. There's, um, is it going to happen without you knowing about it? Uh, there's all these other weird things that are going on here. Uh, and is this going to be something that is, um, stolen, breached, used for other apps, blah, blah, blah. And Apple's just like everybody else. Like they say that, oh, we protect your data and that we don't share and whatever else. And they do a better job of it. Like I use an iPhone. Sure. Um, I don't, I think Android's trash operating system anyway, and I don't like the whatever. So I use iPhone, but I don't have faith that Apple's not reselling my data in some way, shape or form. Like the, we're the oil, right? Data's new oil. So this one's concerning. Um, Following along the lines of deep fakes and voice manipulation, whatever else, and I put this on LinkedIn today, 
there's an article on popsci.com by Andrew Paul. Uh, Trump shares AI altered fake clip of Anderson Cooper. Um, shortly after CNN's town, town hall with Donald Trump last week, the former president's son, Trumpy Jr., uh, shared a clearly manipulated nine-second video clip featuring an AI-generated voice imitation of CNN anchor Anderson Cooper, offering a vulgar compliment of the president's town hall performance. And I watched the little video on Twitter just because of whatever. Um, and it's uh, it's it seems it, like you could tell really quickly that it was a, a pretty shitty one. However, um, there's people that think Bigfoot's real. There's people that see little green people running around, uh, you know, whatever. Like, folks will buy this stuff, and it's dangerous. Um, despite a Twitter community note flagging the video was fake, uh, the commenter replied, real or not, it's the truth just the same. And that one comment right there is worth noting, that even though people out there that saw this, and it was to the tunes of millions, People still say, I don't give a shit. It's still real, which is, uh, it's true. That's concerning. Two days later, Trump re-upped the same altered clip to Truth Social, which is his thing, the alternative social media for his supporters. And while many replies on both Twitter and Truth Social appear to indicate users are largely aware of the parody, experts warned Trump's multiple recent instances of embracing AI-generated content could sow confusion and chaos leading up to his bid for re-election. Uh, yeah, so barely a month after Trump posted an AI-generated image of himself kneeling in prayer, which I saw that image and, okay, sure, whatever, um, the Republican National Committee released a 30-second ad featuring AI-created images of a dystopian America should Biden be reelected. Um, and here's, we are not prepared for this, AJ Nash, Vice President of Intelligence at the cybersecurity firm Zero Fox, told AP News, I don't think we are. Um, when we can do that on a large scale and on social platforms, it's going to have a major impact. If you look at Twitter and look at Truth Social and whatever else, look how many followers there are for these people. All like the this country is a tinderbox right now, and it's only going to get worse. Everything has gone sideways. People can't disagree anymore. There's no such thing as social discord. It's fucking bonkers and. All we need is one spark. Like January 6th was a serious thing. Uh, I won't get into politics because I don't like politicians anyway and whatever else, but it can get so much worse. It can get so much worse so fast at such a scale. And it just takes one. It just takes one decent deep fake or bad voice or tweet or whatever. And loss of life occurs like it, it it's a it's an epic epic problem that we're facing and if we're not aware of it it's going to get bad um people are going to die that's my prediction yeah uh all right so let's go through this one here um the this was by deb radcliffe who's awesome who does a bunch of great work this is on uh, CISO Online. Former Uber CISO Joe Sullivan and lessons learned from the infamous 2016 Uber breach. Uh, buh, buh, buh. Like most CISOs, Joe Sullivan was drawn to the role to help prevent cyber crimes, which most CISOs probably are drawn because they feel a sense of duty to try and do good things. His role of CISO as Uber was something of a shift from his previous job, prosecuting cyber criminals as an assistant U.S. attorney. 
but he's closer to the tip of the cybersecurity spear. On May 4th, Sullivan was sentenced to three years of probation for felony obstruction and, and misprison. I think that's misprision or what a misprision, I guess, for not reporting a 2016 breach at rideshare and delivery company Uber that threatened to expose the data of 600,000 drivers and the personal information associated with 57 million Americans, of which I am one because I got my notification that they would offer me credit monitoring. Super hoo, hoo-ha. In an interview with CISO, Sullivan said he's less concerned with his personal fate than the possibility the entire episode will cause CISOs to become more concerned. Now, I'll admit that uh, me personally, when I saw that this was probation and whatever else, I was immediately like my knee jerk thing. And I put my own foot in my mouth was this is bullshit. I can't believe that this guy's getting away with this, whatever else. I still think that there, this is not enough because there's other things we'll talk about here in a second, but as I read through the rest of the legal stuff that was published very recently, I don't know that that my response was entirely warranted. So let it never be said that I can't you know look at myself and say that I suck. Um, Sullivan's case has caused anxiety among cybersecurity professionals, uh, and. Uh, but it's also galvanized the community. Sullivan stresses gratitude for the hundreds of letters of support he received. His lawyers forwarded 186 letters to the judge, William Oreck, which Sullivan feels is the reason he didn't go to prison. And the letters cited Sullivan's exemplary record as a steadfast cybersecurity champion with a reputation for stepping into growing e-commerce companies, including eBay and Facebook, and building out their security and privacy programs. Okay, good. So the guy's genuine... He's got, you know, a, a motivation to do things to help people out. He's helped with child predator uh, lockups and fraudsters and whatever else. Um, and he's the CEO of a nonprofit, Ukraine Friends. So sounds like he's a genuine, potentially, and I'm not, I don't know the guy, but I'm just saying it sounds like he's a, a, a decent human. Um, but here's where the things get interesting. So excerpts from a single letter, Exhibit 19, um, uh, basically saying that here's what here's what one of the, the letters to the judge said. A prison sentence would negatively impact our industry, cybersecurity industry, as well as the security of companies and consumers worldwide by making it too personally risky to make the difficult judgment calls in unique situations. Uh, this case suggests that we could face both criminal and civil liability if we, for example, defer to general counsel, CEOs, or other offer, officers in the company. Now, that's where things get kind of twisty. Sullivan's case has a huge impact on the cybersecurity community. Yes. Um, okay, so now keep that in your head, but let's go a little bit further into this. So um, should CISOs ultimately be liable for such cases? And this is what's particular, particularly applicable for Uber. Why was the CISO held liable and accused of a cover-up when the paper trail shows that Sullivan, the CISO, set up an incident tracker for the response team and informed and deferred to Uber CEO at the time, Travis Kalanick. Kalanick. Kalanick sounds like the poop thing. And Uber attorney, Craig Clark, who led Uber's legal response to the incident. Oric, the judge, who called this case unprecedented, it's not, there's plenty of other shit like this, pointed this out in court based on the sentencing transcript. I And this is the judge speaking. I remain perplexed that Mr. Kalanick wrote a letter on Mr. Sullivan's behalf, and he, Kalanick, was not present in the case. I am left with the impression that he, Kalanick, was at least as culpable as Mr. Sullivan, and nobody brought him to court. So, good point. The question was also raised in a Law 360 legal review, which I read, 
published May 17, was focused on how unusual it was that neither Kalanick nor Sullivan's in-house counsel, Craig Clark, appeared in court, noting that Clark received government immunity. So a lawyer rolled over and went belly up and did what lawyers do and protected his ass and basically was willing to testify against people. Um, uh, so this is Sullivan. CISOs are not holding the scale, though, in this particular sort of uh, back and forth between leadership. The CEO is. The CEO is in charge. CISOs can make recommendations, but then they, are, they are not the ultimate decider of that. Unless we pull the parachute rope and eject ourselves from the plane as a whistleblower, which you might have to do, their hope is that the CISOs hope is that they continue to make a difference where they're at. It was Clark, the lawyer, who would recommend not reporting the data breach because Sullivan's team was able to retrieve the data before it leaked on the dark web, which begs another question. Uh, and this is from the, the, the report that Deb wrote. Is it worth reporting if you find a breach and you stop it before stuff is stolen? Um, does the bank tell you that someone broke in if the, or that a robbery occurred if no money was taken? I don't think so. I, I don't know. Um, uh, breach recording reporting guidelines are still not clear. There's 50 states and 50 states have 50 different reporting requirements. And that's something that the folks that are drafting the legislation that's mandating all this stuff don't seem to understand. Um, now, the judge in this case acknowledged Sullivan's efforts in containing the breach and retrieving the stolen records by tricking two hackers to sign an NDA, okay, which the NDA was actually used to track their IP address, so kind of shady, which is cool, providing evidence that was later used to convict the hackers of conspiracy to commit extortion. They are now awaiting sentencing in the same district court of Northern California in which Sullivan was tried. Hmm. I wonder if they passed each other in the hall. But the judge also said that because of the failure to report in 2016, their arrests were delayed until 2017 when the breach was reported by Uber's new leadership. Now, if I was those cats, I would if I had a year of, you know, whatever else, I'd have bagged ass and been gone. But I guess they're not that smart. Um, everyone following the case has an opinion about whether Sullivan was right or wrong in the decisions he made. But as details of the case reveal, the answer is not black and white. Sullivan's background as a former assistant DA that Uber had been vilified at the time for past scandals and the glaring lack of federal guidance for breach reporting all had some bearing on the case and its outcome. So this perfect storm is really particularly applicable in this case. Um, you know, hard lessons uh, Uber's culture could have played. Is it easier to be a whistleblower than to report? So uh, uh, this 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 was great written great stuff written up by Deb here. I think everybody should go read this. Um, but uh, one takeaway immediately is if you're going to be the CISO, you had better make sure that the CEO and the GC are willing to go to the mat when things go sideways because they will parade you out there and they will crucify you. I mean, Travis Kalanick and the GC who did what lawyers do and rolled over belly up because they typically have no spine. Uh, can you tell that I don't like insurance people and lawyers? It kind of comes across anyway. Um, they just, they paraded this dude out there and let him be the sacrificial lamb. I, I, and I've said this before on podcasts, like I had the opportunity to take what it would have been a life changing role for me. And economically it would have benefited my family to probably the tune of my grandchildren. I didn't take it because I saw what was going to happen. I knew that I was going to get fucked when things went wrong. And guess what? 18 months or so, two years after I would have taken the job, the company had a major breach and it went sideways 
and they didn't have a CISO. So the only people that got crucified were the folks that actually deserved it, the CEO and the GC and whatever else. So be very, very cautious if you decide to take a job like this as a CISO. Like the pay can be great. The benefits are cool. Yeah, you get to be the CISO of a major organization and defend stuff. Awesome. But if your if the people that are there, the humans, do not have the guts and the intestinal fortitude to have your back when things go sideways, expect to be crucified. Um, I would get it in writing, like what the chain of command is, who's responsible for what, document, document, everything. And oh, when that's not enough, document it again. Every, every fucking electron that leaves your machine, you should have a, a track on. Um, otherwise, it's the only person whose ass is going to get burned is going to be yours. So be very, very cautious if you take a job as a CISO. Now, just following on to that, um, and I'll, I'll move quickly here because I like to keep these things relatively short. There's also an article uh, that came out about Bridgestone CISO, and this is by Jai uh, Vijayan, I think. Wait, I got that right. If I didn't, I apologize. Bridgestone CISO lessons from ransomware attack include acting, not thinking. So what do you do when an attack happens? As a CISO that helped his company navigate through the aftermath of a crippling ransomware attack last year, Bridgestone America's Tom... Corridan says his biggest advice for organizations is to designate key decision makers for handling such crises before they happen. Not having a clear cut line of action at the executive level in advance can exacerbate the consequences of a cyber attack and allow the attacker an opportunity to create more damage. Hmm. When you want to pull a lever, and this is Corridan speaking here, when you want to make a decision about disconnecting networks or paying a ransom, who makes those decisions? To know that going in is really, really important because then you are not caught flooded flat-footed. You are not caught looking around the room going, is that you? Is that me? And you can imagine in your mind, shit goes sideways in the boardroom and everybody's in there and things are burning. People are pointing at each other. Um, it, it, it happens. And if you're not planning for the worst, you're gambling it all, hoping that it doesn't occur. And in this space, it's going to occur. Um, Bridgestone was hit in February, 2022. They had to shut down its networks and manufacturing and retraining facilities in North America and Latin America for several days. LockBit 2.0 claimed credit for the attack and announced plans to publicly leak data assessed, assessed access blah blah from Bridgestone Systems. Uh, Bridgestone disclosed that the cyber attackers had accessed business records as well as files containing social security numbers, bank information, and other PII, but the company had released no other details of the attack since then. Didn't say whether they paid the ransom were bad guys or not. Yeah, uh, uh interview with the Accenture virtual event steered clear of the details of the attack. I guess he was interviewed for one. Um, however, he focused on several lessons uh, they took away. The biggest, according to him, is knowing who makes crucial decisions during an unfolding crisis. And how do you do that? You tabletop it. So basically, this is a guy who has been through a major breach, which all of us are afraid of. And has dealt with the fallout. And what does he say is one of the most critical things to do? It's to what tabletop to plan for it, to be prepared, not to go off and run a pen test and run a scan and say we're good and pencil whip or whatever. It's to make sure that everyone there is prepared for when things go sideways. Uh, if if you've never seen like mass casualty training in the military or pre-deployment training or stuff like that, when they They'll bring folks in that are, that are amputees and they'll fake blow off legs and they 
put them in places with, you know, arterial spray and stuff like that. It changes your perspective on what happens when things go real sideways, real fast. It's real. It's, it, gra- it, it gives some gravity to what's going on. And then you start to think about, oh shit, how do I deal with this when it really happens? That's the type of stuff that has to happen in the boardroom. If, if you're unable or unwilling to have real conversations and real training and make sure that people understand what's going on, bring in an outside third party contract with somebody. Um, I know for me, the first thing I do with any organization I work with is we tabletop. Um, and after that, I like to do a red team so that we actually are, you know, plan plot scheme and doing these things in reality. And is my methodology the best? Absolutely not. Are there a billion way more smarter people than me? You fucking bet. But the thing is from experience, the time to learn how to fight is not when you've been punched in the face. Um, it, it just doesn't work that way. And by the way, playing by the rules with adversaries and with enemies that have no rules is not a good way to go about it. So be real, be honest, plot, plan, scheme, take the approach, make sure somebody's able to, you know, make the call. Um, and just back to that whole thing with Uber, know that if no one else is willing to make the call and you have to be the one to stand up and do it, expect to burn for it, which is sucks, but just know that they're, you know, they're going to wind up parading you out there and crucifying you because somebody has to go when things go sideways and you might not get probation this time could be worse. Um, I don't know. I still think that there's, there's a lot of execs in this space that have gotten away with murder and cyber and they should have been punished more. Maybe this guy didn't deserve exactly everything that he was got. And I, okay, fine. Um, but we still need teeth. We still need actual like negligence and et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, uh, Lots to cover, deep fakes, Apple, blah, you know, just lots and lots of stuff. It just never ends, man. Um, okay, that's 23 minutes. Um, I'll move on to doing other stuff. Uh, as always, stay smart, stay safe, stay secure, and I'll catch you on the next one. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.